the world is changing, and every counterterrorism professional I speak to in the federal government and overseas feels like we are at the doorstep of another 9-11, maybe not something that catastrophic in terms of the visual or the, um, uh, the numbers, but that we can see it building and we don't quite know how to, how to stop it. Welcome to The Daily Wrap-Up, a concise show dedicated to bringing you the most relevant, independent news as we see it from the last 24 hours. Wednesday, January 25th, 2023. Thank you for joining me today. I have a special guest joining me today, Whitney Webb in the background here, ready to jump in and blow some minds with the information that she's been covering around this topic. Since 2020 and long before, in fact, I'll have an article that we've reposted on T-Lab from Mintpress News, where she was covering very similar things even before 2020. Today, we're going to get into a bunch of different topics. Actually, we're probably going to dive into some other things after this main focus today. But something that, you know, we've been talking about in The Last American Vagabond for a long time now, even before the Ukraine situation really became what it is today. And this is what I've coined, essentially, and a lot of people have as vanilla ISIS psyop, the MAGA trap. All these different discussions around how the real crux of the point, the point being that they are creating the very enemy they're going to use to blame people in this country as being the bad guy to be able to execute their agendas. And this is what we've seen the often overlap with the Mujahideen in Afghanistan, the concept of using this fascist entity to bring down the Soviet Union and even discussions before all this of how this is the model that needs to be used against Ukraine. So we want to talk about how some recent developments in regard to the white supremacy threats, one in Spain, different discussions happening outside of Russia and Ukraine being blamed on Russia, and most importantly, being blamed on a group that they're trying to connect to Russia, which is the Russian imperial movement, which we've discussed. RIM, interestingly, RIM and RAM, which we've laughed about before, the Rise Above movement, the Russian imperial movement, and how these things connect. And we're going to discuss this today and show you how Whitney's been discussing and, in fact, predicting literally exactly this group being called for exactly what they are today. So let's get into it. I'll bring in Whitney Webb and we can go through this today and see where we end up. How are you today? Hey, I'm the special guest. Yay. <laughs> I'm doing good. How are you, Ryan? Thanks I'm for good. having me. I'm good. I, I, I have this, this, there's nobody better to talk about this with because I'm, I'm not, you Thanks. know, we often talk about there's, I'm giving you credit where credit is due to make it clear and not just high-fiving because, you know, you predicted this. Like, Yeah, well, the title of the live stream does sound kind of victory lappy. Um, well, but, it is to a, to a degree. Yeah, though. okay, well, thanks. But what, what my hope is, I want to show people why I was able to predict this with exactly. the hopes that everyone <laughs> watching in the future will be able to see these narratives as they develop them and before they're rolled out. Right. So if you look at, I mean, I'm sure some of your audience, and I imagine you probably covered this, you know, there's a Google's new effort to plan from Jigsaw, right? Uh, their Jigsaw subsidiary mm -hmm. to uh, counter fake news by like sort of inoculating people against uh, pre-bunking, they were calling it, right? Right, uh, right. To prevent people from being susceptible to conspiracy theories, right? So- on the flip, so what they're trying to do is they're trying to get you to believe like lies 
right? And I'm trying to get you to see what they're going to do before they do it. So it's like a similar thing, but I'm not, uh, I don't have the agenda that Google has, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, if we can see the people that are putting this out there um, and how it's been done, you can see when they're going to do this again with other stuff or with the same type of agenda. Because the domestic terror thing I've talked about a lot on T-Lab and elsewhere is something that goes back uh, at the very least to the 1980s, but you could arguably trace it back to the Vietnam War and the Phoenix program and some of the stuff that came out of there. Um, And there's pretty much a straight line from there all the way up to now. You spoke um, with Douglas Valentine about this, and I have as well. Right? Yeah, yeah. And I also, um, for people that are interested, I did an interview with Media Roots with, with Robbie Martin a, a year or two ago um, that basically goes over everything from the 80s to now uh, in terms of outlining that continuity of domestic terror policy, which as designed, at least in the 1980s, was really about in- eliminating domestic dissent. And mm-hmm. the Phoenix program was... And Operation Condor and those things had, you know, obvious elements of that as well. So ultimately, what this whole, in my opinion, the rim ram, (laughs) you just mentioned, right? Um, You know, groups like this, what we're seeing is is the effort to uh, create the narrative by the people that want to enact this domestic terror policy, um, the narrative to sell that to their base, Mm -hmm. Right. right? And they always have um, elements of some level of truth to them. And I think that's how they sell them to people is there is a group. Extent, they do exist. Yeah, so there's a very specific narrative that they've been trying to manufacture uh, as it relates to the Ukraine conflict mm-hmm. and trying to link that to domestic terror policy right. uh, with the hope that it will stick. And it's this effort, sort of an extension, I guess you could say, of the Russiagate narrative, mm. Um you know, which has been debunked numerous times. And, you know, a lot of these people have been shown to be liars, but it's still sort of snowballed. And a lot of the same people in that particular faction propagating that narrative um, are still relatively influential in some circles on social media and media. So before we get into this, though, I just want to preface something. So by talking about how this narrative coming from the U.S. national security state and the Biden administration is complete bullcrap. Like this whole Russian imperial movement thing is just Mm -hmm. silly when you look at the details. Uh, It is not me saying that I love Russia. Okay. So ultimately at the end of the day, there is a very obvious effort to frame who will be ostensibly the victims of this domestic terror campaign, right-leaning Americans as terrorists, as white supremacists, and to link that ideology allegedly among that large swath of Americans to political figures, namely Donald Trump and Vladimir Putin. Um, And okay, so when it came to Russiagate, most of it total bullshit. What was not bullshit is that Donald Trump has ties to Russian related organized crime and Eastern Europe organized crime through his mm-hmm. real estate investments. Uh, that is true. And as I've argued in, in my book and also in interviews about the book, it, th- those same organized crime elements were business partners of Robert Maxwell, Ghislaine Maxwell's family. And that's sort of where that association you know, does have 
uh, real roots. And then, of course, uh, you know, the Russian government itself is very much involved in even though it's being treated by globalist entities like the World Economic Forum and other groups as sort of a boogeyman right now because of the Ukraine crisis. For whatever reason, Russia is marching full steam ahead with a lot of the same overarching policy goals of these same globalist entities, Mm -hmm. uh, whether that's uh, expanding biometric surveillance for the purpose of domestic control, uh, normalizing gene therapies as vaccines, um, you know, uh, ESG investing, the the sustainable development goals in Agenda 2030, all of that Russia uh, led by Vladimir Putin is full steam ahead of that, right? So Mm -hmm. you can make the argument that maybe some of this... uh, you know, Russia being the boogeyman, whatever, you know, they're working together behind the scene, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, you can make that argument, right? So I'm not Mm -hmm. trying to, and talking about this, be like, Russia never does anything bad, you know, and I'm not trying to get into that argument. And what I'm trying to show here, and what I I showed in my previous piece for T-Lab, we're going to be talking about today that specifically refers to RIM and the Russian imperial movement, is about showing how the U.S. national security state is trying to manufacture a boogeyman for a specific reason. So in 9-11, they targeted the Arab community um, specifically by trying to paint, you know, Muslim and, and Muslim ide- related ideology and, and Arabs as the people that orchestrated 9-11. We know in reality uh, it was a very different story. And of course, right. the existence of Al-Qaeda uh, at all uh, would not exist without support from the U.S. national security state. And so similarly, there's a new effort to create a new boogeyman for the purpose of rebranding what was the the tactics and the destruction of the previous war on foreign terror to a war on domestic terror. So what you have to do is you have to create a boogeyman that instead of looking like the people you want to invade for oil and for geostrategic gain and other reasons in the Middle East, all these are the bad guys. Their religion is bad. They are bad. Let us bomb them and turn them to rubble. You know, now it becomes, oh, okay, we need a new boogeyman that looks like the people we want to target now. And so that right, has, they right. have to look more like, you know, right-leaning Americans, whatever that means. So yeah. um, that's essentially what we're seeing here. And so this is not me trying to say, the, talking about these are actually the good guys and these are actually the bad guys. You right. know, these guys bad, these guys good. That's not what I'm trying to do here because people, you know, invariably misinterpret this stuff. Uh, but nevertheless, in order to stop the war on domestic terror as it plans to be launched, we have to uh, disassemble the narratives that are being used to construct that. And we have to understand mm-hmm. what's really going on here. And a lot of my work for TLAV specifically over the years has been pretty much laser focused on a lot of this domestic terror stuff. So yeah. anyway, I'll, I'll, uh, let you uh, direct this where you'd like to take it after my little spiel there. No, I, that's just great way to start. That was just perfect. Ah, <laughs> it really okay, was just laying this out. And I, it, it's really is frustrating just on that quickly on that note that you even have to make that statement. That's, that's part of the, the, the game being played where you pointing out something is automatically assumed to be pro or against when really it's just pointing out a fact, you know, and it's, it's frustrating because to my point, the reality being is, you know, you could find pockets of white supremacy or extremism pretty much anywhere you want to look in any country. So it's not that we're trying to say that it doesn't exist or it does. It's simply so your point that they're, they're taking advantage of something to achieve an end. And that's the only point we're making, you know, and that's so it's important to say that, even though it's frustrating that we have to. So I'm glad you laid that out there, because even tying it into the, the pandemic stuff, you know, in Russiagate, it's really interesting to, to make those overlaps, you know, those connections. So I'm glad you did that. So let's let's start really. I want to do and also the last point, 
you deserve to be given credit for this as much as I know you hate when I do that. I think it's it's incredible to see how this is not just a guess. I mean, we're talking about even like the election special coverage. You know, I mean, these are things that were mapped out in incredible specificity that we've seen play out. So I just want to show that's why I titled it that way, because of things like this. Yeah. Where we can get into uh, the, the, you know, 2017, you wrote this for Mid Press News. And this is, you know, the perception has evolved as this has changed, but simply just right wing extremists condemned in Charlottesville, funded and armed in Ukraine and Syria. And so the point being is that you can go as far back before this even and realize that the I mean, we can start with like Charlottesville. And I think that's where an important part to start before we get into your article about Ukraine and the new Al Qaeda is that this is where we can see the overlap as the Azov movement in Ukraine being funded by the CIA as we can point out with Project Aerodynamic, the the rise above movement is the U.S. arm of the Azov movement. And that is what was kind of the beginning of this entire momentum in Charlottesville. The, the Unite the Right rally, that they will not replace us with the tiki torches and the whole damn overlap. And that is what was kind of the impetus for this entire white supremacy, alt-right kind of a thing. And that we can prove that group was the literally the U.S. or the international arm of the Azov Battalion. So just any thoughts on that as we move, we can start with that kind of pre part and even the cars hitting people, right? That whole like protesters and cars that was all started yeah. based on this point. So we're, we're, you go from there if you want, we can jump in. So article. I would argue that most of these extremist groups are, uh, whether they know it or not, infiltrated or run by intelligence agencies, not necessarily American, but some sort of intelligence agency. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I think that's um, especially when you're talking about something like the U.S. branch of Azov Battalion. Um, I don't know. And, and if you look at, uh, I think we talked about this on a previous show. So one of the other extremist group, groups in the U.S. that gets fear mongered about about as much as Ram, the Rise Above people, is the base, right? Right, right. Which is, you know, uh, talking about Al Qaeda. Al Qaeda is literally uh, translated as the base, and then this former DHS guy. Mm-hmm. creates a u.s based organization called the base what well, uh, russian russian based organization right uh no i think the guy he's from the u.s this guy you're talking about here the nazaro guy he worked yeah, for dhs and then worked for the u.s military in the middle east and then he comes back and creates an organization with the same name of al-qaeda but in english uh that plays into a lot of the same narratives but yeah i mean they they claim there's russian connections to him because he married a russian well he moved to russia is the point so he moved to saint petersburg and and that's where he lives and operates this entity essentially yeah but i would argue if you're uh, okay so we're gonna look in a little bit at this uh paper at least i have it pulled up and it was in my uh, ukraine and the new al-qaeda article this Mm -hmm. think tank called just security that's basically tied up with the people who are now the top spies uh, in top foreign policy uh setters in the Biden administration, uh, and they were one of the main think tanks advancing uh, this particular narrative that the U.S. white supremacist problem is inextricably linked to Russia by virtue of the fact that the Russian imperial movement and then the base are based in Russia and that allegedly these other groups like the Rise Above movement for reasons that are rather flimsy when you look into them are allegedly Russophilic, meaning they like maybe they shared an RT article once on Twitter or something. 
right, right. or uh, praised something Putin said about conservative <laughs> values or cultural value, you know, stuff like that is used to sort of paint this with a, a rather broad brush by entities like that. But yeah, so this is um, just security. This is from early 2020, pretty much the same time that Elizabeth Newman, who you started off the show with, makes this prediction that uh, U.S., uh, white supremacists are going to be responsible for a subsequent 9-11 uh, right. within the year. Uh, and then, oh, January 6th happens, <laughs> right. as predicted by the Transition Integrity Project, which is full of other DHS people and national security people. And it, it's just all very odd. So anyway, uh, one of the reasons I was able to sort of, I guess you could say, as you're saying, pred- predicted this, is it has to do with the fact that if you look at history, things like 9-11 and, and other events more or less like that, the national security state told people before essentially what the plan was and what the narrative was. And this is also true. Maybe some people are more familiar with my work uh, on the anthrax attacks. You know, Dark Winter, uh, that exercise that preceded the anthrax attacks uh, was there to create the narrative that was going to be sold to the public about those attacks once they happen. So they tend mm-hmm. to test out their narratives uh, before the actual event takes place and before those narratives get um, advanced. So we'll talk about that a little more in the context of this recent uh, Spain bombing mm-hmm. and, and and how that um, ties into these things. But again, this is from a think tank intimately tied to the faction of intelligence agents who are currently running the show uh, under the Biden administration uh, as it relates to the intelligence complex. People yeah. like Avril Haines, uh, people right. like uh, Jake Sullivan, you know, it's Which, the, the the top people that are setting policy in the Biden administration, because we think most people in your audience know it's probably not Joe Biden that's yeah. making all these calls. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah, indeed. Which you mentioned both of them in this very article. But before we get to the, the current CNN story, I because I, the, the, see. We know a lot of this stuff in the connections, but a lot of the, if there's new people on the show, they might be going, what is Ram and what are the, like, you know, why sure. we're talking about it? Well, I'm, I'm, go ahead. yeah. So ahead. I, what I would like to do actually, if it's okay with you, um, mm-hmm. is show some of the mainstream coverage actually of this event, what they say about the Russian imperial movement, and then go and show what I wrote about all of this last year. Just okay. as the Ukraine stuff was starting. Absolutely. Well, and just to, then just to give people a general <laughs> background, though, is because the, idea- the timeline, as described in these mainstream media articles, is very relevant because they're mm-hmm. cl- making claims like, oh, no one in the U.S. national security state really cared about the Russian imperial movement until like late last year. But then you have all the stuff I wrote about in the article that was roughly a year ago, um, well before that date supplied by mainstream media, talking about Russian imperial movement and how essentially what this narrative they're running with uh, was going to be, mm-hmm. right? right? So, um, <clears throat> but before, before we jump into the current article, though, so that just for yeah. those that might be just a just general understanding, though, so people might be asking like why we're talking about these things as connected, and the point was the the connection there is that the the first of all, as I said, the rise above movement, which was kind of the beginning focal point for all of this is connected back to the Azov movement in the in Ukraine. And we know that the CIA has been funding this entity since 1948. And so the point is that the rise of the Russian imperial movement is something that they've been trying kind of subtly to lay the groundwork to connect to what's been happening, not just in the United States, but Italy and Spain long before we were going to get into the Spain story. So they're saying that they're connected. Now, her work, which we'll come back to, laid out very clearly that this was flimsy at best and that all the evidence was on one side of this. And Mm -hmm. so we've been on the last American vagabond going like this is coming. And we actually just recently did an article, uh, which I'll, I'll, we'll come back to as well. 
uh, or rather a show specifically going Russia's now beginning to be accused of supporting and financing Ukraine's Nazi problem that moments ago didn't exist. So we see them beginning to let this out. And now my opinion, and you can tell me what you think, this first story in regard to Spain is kind of like the beginning of this argument on the surface to pretend that Russia, or at least their argument is that Russia is responsible for it. So for those who just kind of briefly understand that. So let's start then where, where Whitney wants to get into on the CNN article, which is what I think is the beginning of the surface <laughs> level argument for this. So go ahead. Okay. So as far as I saw, actually, a lot of these claims uh, didn't originate with CNN. They seem to have originated with the New York Times. So I mm-hmm. went and found that very specific article. So again, you, you, you these this is all, uh, if you look at the end of the piece, there's three authors. They're all longtime national security correspondents for mainstream media, which tends to indicate that those journalists have a relationship with those agencies for the purpose of obtaining access to officials for interviews and information, all of this, Um, essentially to operate in mainstream media, national security reporting. You have to uh, make those sort of deals in order to get access to national security officials and be able to do the kind of reporting those outlets want you to do. Mm-hmm. So I'll just get that out of the way really quick. The so, game, right? yeah. And if people remember back, and I would really encourage people to try and go back in history mentally a little bit to like the Iraq era, right? And how a lot of national security stuff was framed during the war on terror period. Mm-hmm. Uh, you'll see again, you'll see that in this headline too, a lot of the tactics that were used there. Uh, again, it's suspected of directing far right group to mail bombs in Spain. And it's all citing anonymous U.S. officials and making anonymous claims. There's no specific names about the Russian agents, no specific names about the far right group. Um, and anyway, let's just get into it so you can see. It's for amazing yourself. that they still have the ability to say the U.S. officials said like we don't have complete lack of trust with, historically with their yeah. claims. It's hilarious. But that's this whole thing uh, and, is on that. Yeah. So with this particular event, I think this is a key takeaway that essentially seeding the idea that this is to be the first of many such uh, events that are going to be blamed on Russian intelligence and the Russian imperial movement or RIM working together. So as we go down here, um, these letters were sent in late November and early December to sites throughout Spain. And it's been Spanish and foreign investigators. Uh, We can assume that those foreign investigators are most likely from NATO countries. Um, And it's been, you know, uh, uh, sorry, this is just so silly. So basically, um, again, American and uh, European anonymous officials believe that it was military intelligence of Russia directing associates of a white supremacist militant group based in Russia to carry out this campaign. So investigators in recent weeks, so this is months after the events took place, Mm -hmm. have now focused their attention on the Russian imperial movement described as a radical group that has members across Europe and training centers in St. Petersburg. And according to the State Department, is believed that believed to have ties to Russian intelligence agencies, but they supply no evidence for that in this article or elsewhere. (laughs) Real quickly, do you do you have any thought on why it took this long like so it's arguably uh December January right it, of last year December into January this year of when this happened this is Why November you, late November mm-hmm. right and then into like what I saw is that the 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 art well anyway so the point is from there it's to two now, months later essentially why, why do you think it's taken switch. that long 
to to have this to blame the Russian imperial movement in your mind? Do you any thoughts? Um, I don't. Well, so I think there's a specific narrative they want to advance because it's very much tied up with um, how uh, the, the NATO countries wish to advance uh, the Ukraine conflict mm-hmm. and and their plans for escalation there. Um, so I think this is just this particular event is as as they sort of seed here is going to be the first in several events and they want to build up on the narrative you know eventually so when a a big event happens they can be like well russian intelligence was previously uh, suspected of using the russian imperial movement in this case this case and this case Mm -hmm. and this would be like for example the first of those cases they can then go and cite and that makes it look like it's more authoritative uh, then right. uh, because they don't have a- any actual evidence, right? So they have to sort of you'll you'll see them do that exact thing with something else here at the end of this article. Oh, okay, I was going to like basically your, your original article talk too. about a story that was debunked and then sort of claim it was debunked. Uh, but well, anyway, you'll see it. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. I, I know you're familiar with the story. So anyway, uh, their allegations about why it was RIM is because important members of the group have been in Spain, but they don't say who the members of the group are, what their rank is, and where they were in Spain, and if there's any correlation with where the letters were mailed from. Mm. Yeah. And they claim they've tracked the ties of Russian imperial members Two far-right Spanish organizations, but we don't know what those far-right Spanish organizations are and what those ties exactly are. And as we'll go back to this article I did last year, and we'll talk about how this rhetoric has been used previously and what the actual evidence is and how it's like insanely flimsy. And they pull this flimsy stuff together to make claims like this. I have Um, a special treat for you, by the way, after we get through this and treat really, but just a a connection that I think you'll find interesting to all of this once we get past the, the bulk of it. Yeah. (laughs) So really quick then it's saying um, that the reason they speculate that Russia is allegedly doing this uh, is because it's them trying to provoke a response without getting into a full on war with NATO. Yeah. And that they say, again, that this is alluding to the fact that this is to them going to be the first of many uh, that the calculus on terrorist attacks like this alleged letter bombing campaign they're they're claiming Putin and, and the Russian government was behind uh, could change, meaning it, they could do it again and more often if Russia mm-hmm. continues to suffer major setbacks in Ukraine. Um, and uh, then you hear you have Nathan Sales, who we will see by going back. <coughs> Sorry. <coughs> Nathan Sales is all over the stuff I wrote about last time, mm-hmm. uh, ginning up this this rhetoric about the Russian imperial movement. And he's actually a Trump administration official. Um, anyway, so the Russian officers behind the bombing campaign. Remember, there's no evidence supplied that Russian officers have any actual relationship right. with this organization. It says it's suspected by anonymous U.S. officials. <laughs> and but then it goes on to say the Russian officers that are behind the bombing campaign, like it's proven, right? And in right. that it's proven that RIM RIM was involved in it too. I mean, it's crazy. Yeah. It, um, it's you know, it's completely I mean, hinging on U.S. says. That's it. Yeah. Well, so they'll frame what the anonymous U.S. officials say as like speculative, using words mm-hmm. like suspected, might, you know, things like that. But then they'll state it. They'll restate the claim paragraphs later as fact. Right, right. right. And this is something that these guys do a lot. Um, So, you know, they're talking about members of the agency have done shadowy stuff like interfering in the presidential election, you know, all this, you know, Russiagate stuff. 
Well, that's um, interesting. So they're not. So to, to your point a little further, they're, they're now jumping to talk about what these Russian officials have done as if that's connected, even though you already said it's not suspected. On top of that, Russiagate not even being real. That's that's some great journalism right there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. My and God. so, again, Spanish investigators have identified persons of interest they believe were involved in the attacks. We don't know their names. We don't know if those persons of interest are even affiliated with the Russian imperial movement at all mm-hmm. or one of these alleged far right Spanish organizations that's allegedly tied to him. I mean, this is all just a bunch of googly guck at the end yeah. of the day. Yeah. Um, then you have another senior director for national security stuff in the Trump administration saying it's not surprising that the GRU, Russian military intelligence, might have, you know, <laughs> it would not be surprising if they had directed the Russian imperial movement to carry out the attacks. I mean, wow, you know. And then she's saying, well, most of these far right organizations are, of course, linked to Russian intelligence, but doesn't supply any evidence for that. Of course. And you could make the same thing, too, about like CIA organization. (laughs) I mean, it's just like very silly. Um, But anyway, so again, now they admit, you know, earlier it was saying in the first sentence, right, it said Spanish and foreign investigators. We now know that those foreign investigators are American and British intelligence officials. Of course. Okay. Um, So that's a giveaway. Then the American and British intelligence officials are the ones responsible for these suspicions about the Russian imperial movement and the GRU. And those suspicions, according to this article, only coalesced late last year, soon after the bombs were discovered. Right. Mm-hmm. And this is a narrative, again, that's been seated uh, well before almost a year before those bombs were ever found. Uh, that, you know, these entities were allegedly going to be working together. And these are the same intelligence agencies that were responsible, for example, the Skripal situation, the alleged mm-hmm. murder of Sergei Skripal and his daughter, uh, that, as far as I know, has been totally dismantled as a crazy, Entirely. insane uh, situation. And the official narrative of that is uh, totally inaccurate. Oh, yeah. Big surprise there. So anyway, it goes on to admit that the Russian imperial movement is only partially aligned with the Russian government Because as you will see, uh, they protest the Russian government. They don't like Putin at all. They complain about Russia's involvement in Ukraine and all other sorts of things. And uh, as I argued last year, I think the only reason they were chosen is because they were supportive of of independence for the Donbass, specifically, which is something the U.S. doesn't want. And you you mentioned in your article, we'll get into that they've even had their offices raided by the Russian government, right? None of these facts matter. Yeah, yeah. But they claim they work together despite that because they share Moscow's aim of undermining Western governments and sowing chaos in Europe. Right. That's the same logic they use for why groups that are not white and groups that are white will work together for white supremacy. Well, we're (laughs) you and I, Ryan, are treated by these people as Russian propagandists because we undermine faith in Western governments. But really all governments because they're all full of crap and the facts make that really clear. You're here. (laughs) Well, you know, uh uh-oh, being fact-based. Right. It's it's sowing chaos. Um, Anyway, so they're talking about the, the ability... To use the Russian imperial movement as a sometime proxy force is useful to Russian intelligence, but there's no evidence they've ever done that. I mean, this is all speculative stuff. And here they're talking about how they were designated a terror group. When you find out why they were designated that, which we'll get to soon, it's Mm -hmm. it's madness. So I'm going to skip all of this and we can refer back to this later where they're talking about the justification being the Swedish stuff when actually neither of the people involved in this thing cited here were even part of RIM at the time. Right. Ever, actually. They were never actually part of RIM. One of them was allegedly trained by RIM. Right. And, and that's the justification to get it on this terror list. The first white supremacist terror group, RIM, added to that list in, U- in U.S. history 
was added at a time when it was linked to no deaths no from deaths, terrorist right. attacks. And the only terrorist attack it was linked to did not actually involve RIM members, right? It involved mm-hmm. one guy who had allegedly been trained by them. Right. So you can see here that obviously these guys are being added as a global terror threat for a very specific reason. Right. So, with very flimsy background behind it. And your point before yeah. is while there's groups that are far more prominent with far more deaths and action that you can prove. Exactly. So anyway, you'll see here that there the New York Times is citing this center at Stanford University, which I also cite really extensively in my article from last year. But mm-hmm. they're very selectively citing the Stanford University stuff because a lot of the stuff I just mentioned, for example, the Swedish thing is mm-hmm. in that Stanford University report they're citing here, but they don't mention that in the article. So, you know, this is very duplicitous reporting. Right. And then um these are some last important points here. So as a result of the recent letter bombs, U.S. intelligence and counterterrorism officials have increased their scrutiny of the Russian imperial movement, including updating terrorist watch list to flag suspected leader. But they're already added to the terror list in the U.S. So, I mean, right. this is very silly. But if you look uh, a little over a month ago, RIM quietly appeared in this is mid-December. Um, they were a target of new sanctions against Russia on the part of the EU, specifically here. You can see it, the Russian imperial movement. And they link that movement with people that are involved in, in fighting in the Donbass against Ukraine, right? So, you know, I, I would argue that at some point this uh, it, this could be ind- indicative of an effort to sort of link everyone that uh, supports uh, d- independence uh, for the Donbass, or at least them being part of Russia as opposed to Ukraine or whatever, anyone that holds that point of view for whatever reason, whether they're in the Donbass or outside of that, linking them to the Russian imperial movement potentially in the future. Right. Um, but really quick here. So a really key document that I cite in my report from last year is this report from Politico in 2020 that was supposed to be, was cited uh, as a replacement to the CIA's worldwide threat assessment, 2020 right. being the first year in decades and decades and decades, really since they started doing it, um, that the CIA did not publish formally their worldwide threat assessment. So this Politico article citing CIA people was supposed to be that. Mm-hmm. What was cited as a replacement for that, right? And so w- their top threat post-COVID was what they called the globalization of white supremacy. This was three years right. ago that they put this out. Which and I just want to point out real quickly, mm-hmm. the timing of that is really interesting. So like in the midst of the COVID PSYOP, they're already going. And after that, <laughs> global white supremacy is going to be the yeah. focus. And that's why we play that clip in the beginning. Yes. It's and so together. they're saying that, and they're basically like, this is the rise of domestic terrorism. And anyway, there's a lot. You can see how that's how that uh, narratives developed over time. But here we have mm-hmm. it, you know, in this recent article. Um, and it says American and European security officials have had growing concerns about white supremacist group with trans national links for most of the last decade. And then it references uh, the Christchurch, New England shooting as as the only example uh, really there, which should be pretty telling. But then again, the transnational link stuff, it's this idea that it's a global terrorism network and all of this stuff. But at the same time, one of the groups that's most active with this ideology that has created branches in their native country and elsewhere, Azov Battalion, gets an insane amount of money, not just from the U.S., but Israel, which is supposed to hate Nazis, right? 
Uh, but yep. why are they funding and ha historically, even before this most recent iteration of the conflict, uh, yep. been funding Azov Battalion for so long? Um, I would say well. Israel has a major stake in the domestic terror stuff, specifically in the U.S. Um, a lot of the technology and policies have a very strong Zionist influence in the United States. And I, I think that's pretty clear. And from my past reporting is, is pretty clear. Um yeah. So again, one, one, oh, one point yeah. again, just I'm, I'm trying to for those yeah, that yeah. Again, aren't familiar with this overarching topic, the point that we're making before, in case it wasn't clear, is the idea that what they're painting and they want to blame on the Russian imperial movement is what they have been building this whole time, which is what the Azov movement, the yeah, international yeah. reach. And so the point is that I think that your work, people's work before this kind of put a stick in the spokes of this seamless transition to be like, yeah, yeah. Them the whole time. And the point is these new arguments are. I clumsily patched together to try to make that now the case. And I think that's, you know, what we're trying to expose in the middle of all yeah. this is that it's not even remotely tied to them. That's not to say that there aren't those examples in general. So go ahead. Right. So here, I just want to point out this last thing. I sort of alluded to a second ago, how they referenced debunked deporting, reporting of theirs, like it wasn't debunked. Um, right, right. So you may have remembered, uh, I think it was the New York Times as well as the Washington Post made the claim that Russia was offering bounties on American soldiers uh, if uh, to, to Taliban linked groups. And then this was uh, proven to be inaccurate. Shocking. And you read it, Ryan, what does that paragraph say? Does it sound like they're acknowledging the reporting was debunked? Right, exactly. Oh, I mean, see, I think like to your point, I think the objective is to sell you that it's not even though they previously said that it wasn't sound, you know, it's, that's, it's propaganda. Like I think the New York times and all these high level outlets are, I mean, how can they not be aware but, that what they did look, is not journalistic integrity? Go they ahead. say at the end, right? Oh, well, American officials said the year, you know, in 2021, they had no evidence showing the Kremlin had ordered the action, implying that someone else in Russia may have ordered it without the Kremlin's knowledge. But it was it was even debunked by U.S. officials that it was like a thing. It was like this propaganda U.S. intelligence assessment. Uh, past the New York Times for the purpose of, you know, seeding narratives. This might and the CIA has a history of doing that. So any intelligence right. agency does that. Right. This might as well have been written by them themselves. Mm -hmm. I mean, your point is it's hilarious to see that they end the article by going, we don't even know. <laughs> and they just, yeah, but screen. this particular right. group, this unit two, nine, one, five, five or whatever mm -hmm. is, is the group throughout this article that they accuse of it being interlaced with the Russian imperial movement and claim it's so secretive that even people in the GRU, which is the other agency that they're, you know, assigning blame to here doesn't even know it exists. <laughs> I mean, you know, maybe they do have these elite things. Uh, I mean, I'm not going to say that's that they don't impossible. have units like that because a lot of, you know, intelligence apparatus around the world will have organizations like that. Mm -hmm. But they're, you know, you trying to bulk up their point by citing reporting of theirs that was proven to be false and proven right. to be misinformation. Right. So that's very silly. So, now that we've done that, um, I don't know if you want to go through my my old article. I have it up, but um, yeah, uh, yeah, we can go through some of the points on it. Um, did you want to go? I have some of mine highlighted. I can just interject if you want to read it from your side. Uh, <laughs> sure. Well, just because I, I had the text is a little bigger because um, mm -hmm. you have a lot of informative sidebars I, uh, on on T Lab, <laughs> and so I, I can like get distracted easily because I you know my brain does that. <laughs> no worries. No, All right. Yeah. 
So uh, I started off this article talking about a CFR publication that wrote an article by a CIA station chief. It's called The Coming Ukrainian Insurgency. Mm -hmm. And they're essentially arguing uh, that widening unrest will destabilize other countries around Russia and that a lot of this is going to be white supremacist stuff. Could you actually comment on the insurgency point itself? Like, I, I think that's really relevant that they like to your articles that you referenced that they were all the, the former retired CIA framing this as an insurgency, which implies that they, they expected Russia to take over entirely. And because that's not what's happening. This, this couldn't be termed an insurgency. It's not what happened. Right. right. Mm-hmm. Good. But I think this is what they expected Russia to do better. Mm-hmm. for whatever reason and then expected there to be some sort of insurgency well I, again it probably would have happened this way if nato the u.s and uk governments hadn't pumped like such an insane amount of money and weapons into into ukraine right okay so, so you think russia might have taken the entirety of ukraine if, if it hadn't been the resistance at least more of it i don't know mm-hmm. if necessarily you know i don't want to make claims like i know what would have well, happened we're, we're right hypothesizing, yeah yeah, yeah, but I think they expected that there would be like more, uh, more, and you know, they would have encroached more, and then there would have mm-hmm. had been an insurgency situation. And I think honestly, supporting groups like Azov Battalion, you're uh, intending to have some sort of insurgency because right, of right. you know how they operate. I tend to think Russia just didn't take the bait. I mean, you can see throughout Syria's examples that they continually show the government shows restraint when you would have expected different if it would have been in the reverse, you know, so maybe he saw through it, you know, they just didn't take. The yeah, bait. but essentially, you know, what this station chief is saying is that, you know, you the U.S. should support this insurgency. And right. so he's making the case that we should support these elements. And this is, you know, the same thing the Hillary Clinton did with the moderate rebels and Syria and all of this stuff. And a lot of those same people uh, responsible for that stuff are now the people in the top Mm -hmm. positions, national security positions and intelligence positions in the Biden administration. So that's relevant. Mm -hmm. Um, And this is just talking about uh, Al Qaeda um, and how the CIA has been training essentially insurgent groups that, you know, are considered insurgent uh, since 2015 in Ukraine. Um, right. So, and, and I know you've covered article, a lot actually, of that. Mm-hmm. You're, cit- you're citing your article, actually, uh, Clinton herself discussing, I believe it was Clinton or it, the Hillary, it just says Clinton. So I forget, I forget to look back, but appeared on MSNBC talking about citing the insurgency in Afghanistan as, quote, the model that people in the government are looking toward in Ukraine. Like, just think about how transparent that is. That's what we're talking about. They're using the same funding and a fascist entity that a Mujahideen to bring down the Soviet Union. It's the same game, right? So it's like, I just don't get why people can't see how open they were about the agenda. Yeah, so before the Ukraine conflict started last year, the CIA had been funding and training top Ukrainian intelligence officials for about seven years, Mm -hmm. yeah? And Mm -hmm. then a month before everything kicks off, uh, Zelensky meets with the head of the CIA, Right. And then all of these different things happen that led Russia to engage in, in this operation. It's so transparent. Or invasion or whatever you want to call it. You know, yeah. I'm, I'm not one to police people's language. I don't care what you call it. Um, so uh, ultimately here. Oh, yeah. So here I am referencing this Politico article. I'll just pull it up so you can see mm-hmm. how prominent they rank uh, the globalization of white supremacy. So experts knew a pandemic was coming. Yeah. So the same people that knew COVID was going to come before it came, this is what they're worried about next. So okay. <laughs> goody, so goody. Um, so, you know, what other cas- catastrophes are coming that we aren't planning for? 
Um, and here they talk about how this is the C- the the CIA's covert worldwide threat assessment as opposed to an official one. It's Politico's domestic threat assessment. And this is right before DHS, after being created in like 2003, 2004, issues their first ever domestic threat assessment. And I've argued many times that the fact the CIA stopped the worldwide threat assessment at the same time there was the DHS domestic threat assessment for the first time shows that Mm -hmm. national security state is pivoting away from foreign terror to domestic terror in a very significant way starting in 2020. So anyway, here's what's coming for us now. Number one, globalization of white supremacy. It's at the top. What does that even mean, really? Globalization of, like, what do you think that means? Like, the term generally, like, that it's a... Go ahead. What do you think? Um, So what what they're trying to do here, and we'll see this later, is this make this argument that it's a transnational network of white supremacy. So thus, the war on domestic terror must be global in scope. So another article I did for TLAV was uh, titled something like, uh, who is a domestic terrorist in Biden's America? And it was looking at the policy documents that they've released of the domestic terror stuff. And they make it very clear that this is going to be a joint effort between uh, the Five Eyes nations at the very least, and will probably extend to all NATO countries um, if this, you know, progresses um, because it's all about information sharing and the idea that assets of all these different alleged problematic supremacist groups are spread between countries. So there needs to be information sharing. This is exactly what the CIA designed for South America in Operation Condor. It's the exact same model, in my opinion. Um, And if you go and look at that history, the the idea was that domestic dissidents targeted uh, for disappearance, uh, murder, uh, whatever, re-education, what have you, would not be allowed to escape from one country to another. Right. That was essentially the purpose of it. So, for example, if you're in Pinochet's Chile and you want to escape into neighboring Argentina, Chile and Argentina will share databases and information so that you are not safe in, in that country either. And this was, you know, uh, it was uh, Chile, Argentina, I think also Colombia. It was Brazil, which was also under a U.S.-backed military dictatorship at the time. Um, and a lot of these other countries that were aligned at, at that particular time, I think Peru also participated pretty significant. And so it's the same model, uh, which again, Operation Condor has its antecedents in the Phoenix program in Vietnam. Um, then you have Operation Condor and, and then you have efforts beginning in the 80s to develop a domestic dissident elimination program, essentially, um, under the guise of, um, you know, a continuity of government, right, developed right, in the 1980s right. um, for a lot of these same, um, you know, reasons. And now we're here, essentially. And, and there's reason, there's more, obviously, um, like in, in how this policy developed, you know, the Timothy McVeigh and the Oklahoma City bombings are a key part of that. It was actually mm-hmm. Biden when he was in office that introduced legislation that if it had passed would have given the president the unilateral authority to decide who is a terrorist and who is not. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is very significant history considering who is uh, what administration and what president at least we're supposed to believe is, is responsible for ushering this in as policy. Um, so important stuff there. Um, so I highlighted this stuff, um, a time ago. And here again, we have the two Swedish men, uh, the same one cited in this New York times article from a couple days ago that I just read citing the same bombings linked to the Russian Imperial movement. And here, and what, what is this may 2020 who, who we, who do we have Russian Imperial movement? There they are. Uh, it's like 
can I we point knew out COVID was going to happen and you didn't hear our warnings and we're warning you about the Russian imperial movement, but you're not listening and now it's too late. Like that's basically what right. they're going to roll with here. Think about how interesting it is that the, we, and we've both talked about this, that previous to the 24th and invasion that there had been, I mean, from, from 2014 forward, all sorts of international articles, Atlantic council writing about the rising threat of the Azov movement and their transnational reach. And even at this time, they're still pointing at something else i mean it's, it's that yeah. simple to be. yeah mm-hmm. yeah well so the they can always switch it around you know mm-hmm. and they can always frame it as oh we didn't know this was going to happen blowback uh-oh like they did with al-qaeda um which again is is obfuscating the fact that it was the u.s national security community with israeli and saudi intelligence that was largely responsible for, for september 11th 2001 right. and right. uh but they want you to believe it was just al-qaeda when al-qaeda is a, a product of u.s national security policy exactly. and foreign policy and it's not that far of a reach for them this is what i expect actually at some point for them just to make the argument that the azov movement is part of the russian imperial they'll movement just link for... it all together yeah yeah, yeah right. at some point they'll be like they have a shared ideology that's enough right right um even though like they built it uh, it's the same thing um yeah. so it's manufacturing you know specific proxy groups that can uh, again be used to justify whatever stuff the u.s national security state or anglo-american alliance or whatever wants to get involved in Right. Um, I, I don't think, in, especially in these situations, it's really fair to just say this is all just the U.S. national security state. Obviously, a major role there. But again, I think this is most of the Five Eyes intelligence agencies involved in this particular operation um, here. I completely agree. Because they're all going to be do... collaborating on how the war on domestic terror is implemented. Yeah, right? I completely agree. And I, and I do think there's an, an uh, the Israeli government plays an outsized role, I think, in this. And we can get into more over A lot of there. the solutions for domestic terrorism are marketed by Israeli tech companies and surveillance companies. Right. That have, A lot of them are contractors already for the U.S. national security state. So I've yeah. written a lot about that in the past, even though there's some and, people who like to claim that I've never talked about it. Of even course, though I have of course. like series and series on it, whatever. That's always, there's even comments in the More chat. More than a dozen articles. It's tiring. My point though is not even just the security state point, but even specifically the game of the white supremacy, Azov movement, Israel's government is a direct yeah. tie to all of this stuff, as you know. As you totally, know. Yeah. yeah. But l- let me just read this highlighted stuff because mm-hmm. it's very it's very significant. So um, it, it starts, and you can see it on screen. So terrorism to Today conjures images of ISIS fighters and suicide bombers, but if you ask national security officials about the top near-term terrorism threat on their radar, they almost universally point to the rising problem of white nationalist violence in the insidious way that groups that formerly existed locally have been knitting themselves together into a global web of white supremacism. In recent weeks, the State Department, for the first time, formally designated a white supremacist organization, the Russian Imperial Movement, as a terrorist organization, in part because it's trying to train and seat adherents around the globe, inspiring them to carry out terrorist attacks, as it did with these two Swedish men, which is the only thing that Russian imperial movement has has ever been tied to in terms of a terrorist attack. And as I talked about earlier, and as we'll see in a second, the guys, the two Swedish guys weren't even members of RIM. So it's like, all right. And meanwhile, you've got the Azov movement and its origin, even to now, openly stating their goal is to spread the white nationalist idea around the planet. You know, it's just, yeah. just these comparable so, points. It goes on and says there are serious and explicit warnings about this coming from U.S. government and foreign officials that eerily echo the warnings that came about for Al-Qaeda before 9-11. So this is the new Al-Qaeda. Then they talk about Elizabeth Newman saying we're going to have another 9-11. It's going to be U.S., 
white supremacists, then January 6th happens and all the national security link congressmen, uh, like for the former CIA people that became congressmen, a lot of them in, in the election prior to that or the 2020 election that got elected to Congress. I think uh, WSWS and some other websites had reported on that uh, pretty extensively. Mm-hmm. They were all essentially being like, it's another 9-11. It's another 9-11. I mean, even though like how many people died? Uh, yeah, exactly. It, the right. narrative was there very clearly before, and they've stuck to it. Yeah, they, yeah, people yeah. still call it an armed insurrection. Like they're stuck to the narrative for, for sure. Yeah, but let's talk about this for a second. So okay. if you're think if you're not a national security person and you're just a regular person in America, or you know, I'm in Chile, right? Um, how how much stuff in your life, uh, you know, crime in your area, whatever problems, even in your state or like you know, country, region, whatever, uh, how big you think the death count of white supremacism is right now? You asking me? Yeah. Oh well, I mean, I mean, I I tend to think this is wildly overblown, like ridiculously overblown, and I think the point is that there are uh, the point that is are... that it's intentionally overblown because exactly. think about how many people are blown up by U.S. drone bombings every day. Exactly, and compare that to the death toll of these uh, white supremacist movements. And I would add that a lot of the death toll, even the real examples are broadly stretched over. Like the argument being that these groups are being called white supremacy groups in many cases where maybe that's not even necessarily what they true. I mean, for crying out loud, you've got groups like the proud boys being called white supremacists when the leader is not a white. It's well, well, I'm just saying that. that, Yeah. (laughs) That's another conversation. I agree. My point. The top people, but they are feds though. I mean, they're they're FBI informants. Yeah, um, go ahead. You want to come or DHS that? informants, and the same with the Oath Keeper people, and those were the bad guy groups around January six. But they're all right. full of feds. All right. Well, but I yeah, I would argue though, there's plenty of people that may not be aware of that within the group, and so on. But yes, there's that. That's the point about January six. That's important that they were people that were in these positions that we now know. But anyway, the point is that it's it's overblown in ways that you're they're warping in groups that aren't even necessarily white supremacists. It's just because they yeah. label it whatever so, right-leaning groups, for example. Again, what we have here, they're talking about white supremacist groups. Uh, we don't know if they can do something as complex as 9-11, but they're clearly adapting the playbook by the Islamic State. So they're essentially the new ISIS. You got to love that. We've they're, talked about a lot. That narrative. Figure it out is kind of the point, right? <laughs> yeah. Like and then, of them. course, they cite the Oklahoma City bombing. Um, and uh, there's no way Timothy McVeigh did that alone. Uh, so I would encourage people to go check out uh, some of the alternative narratives about that particular mm-hmm. event. Right. Um, And a lot of this, too, you can see Christopher Ray here uh, being quoted here, the FBI director who was just at the World Economic Forum meeting. Um, He said uh, at the time, it's not just the ease and speed with with which these attacks can happen, but the connectivity that the attacks generate. Yeah. Hmm. So interesting. Unpack that sentence, Ryan. Well, I mean, so what's he ultimately saying that it's more about what they achieve by connecting. It's not about the the attacks. It's about the connectivity. The attacks generate. Right. Right. So So to him, the problem isn't the terror attacks because they don't, the death toll is, is minuscule Mm -hmm. when you compare it to other things that are actually killing people. So that the act is causing (laughs) other groups around the world to want to join their effort. The problem is the connectivity. Mm -hmm. And he says one unstable, disaffected actor hunkered down alone in his mom's basement is getting further fired up by similar people half a world away. See? Okay. Half a world away, the internet. So Mm -hmm. it's a lone wolf guy we need to be worried about being radicalized by content on the area, getting fired up by stuff on the internet. This is intimately related to the censorship agenda, which I've previously reported for T-Lab on this domestic terror stuff. It's 
the most critical part of their domestic terror strategy, the first thing they're going to do when they roll this out is just ramp up the censorship to extremes we have never seen before. And that's saying a lot considering the past three years. It's going to be so much worse when they decide to do it. And we can also see efforts of that ramping up. You have the director general of the WHO, for example, saying like, we have to keep going after misinformation. And, you know, the second they try and do this COVID stuff again, some other sort of health crisis, which is very clear they're ramping up to attempt to repeat this stuff. uh, Their top concern is misinformation. And so here you have the same thing. It's a driver of violence. We have to stop it. So if it's not enough to say it's a threat to public health, it's a terrorism concern. I mean, all this different stuff is ultimately focusing on the Internet and the goal, whether you're looking at it from these guys and national security or groups like the World Economic Forum or even uh, controlled opposition people and independent media like Jordan Peterson. uh, The solution is the end of online anonymity. And to have your internet activity be linked to a government issued ID, everything you do and read and everything, every site you visit is logged and tied to your identity. And of course that interfaces with this whole digital identity agenda uh, that's being rolled out in California uh, and around the world. um, But has gone quite fast as least as the far, uh, as far as the U S is concerned in California. Um, We're essentially there right now. It's just the digital, the the new, the digital ID, social credit aspect of it is being built out. But what's interesting though, is I often think that what we just laid out right there, this is the next prediction that I keep pointing out that I think we've talked about before is that what would perfectly tie all this together would be these exact groups, a supposed member of the rise of Russian imperial movement carrying out a bio attack in the United States. And then suddenly everything. Yeah. Well, what, what did Bill Gates just tell lawmakers in Australia? Because this is very interesting. A lot of people didn't pick up on this. The world economic forum meeting Soros wasn't there and Bill Gates wasn't there. Mm -hmm. Okay. Where was Bill Gates? He was in Australia warning people in Australia about the next pandemic. And he said this one is probably going to be deadlier than COVID and man-made. And And if you look at past stuff, Bill Gates has said, well, before COVID, it's all about terrorists are going to invent gain of function stuff. And this is a narrative that's gone back to the people that were actually behind the anthrax attacks that, that started producing this narrative, like, Oh, well technology today, you can just get stuff in your garage and tinker away and you have a deadly virus that you can release on the world. It's actually not possible to do that, but they claim it is, uh, you know, it, it's a part of a long, long-standing narrative uh, for the people that are behind a biosecurity agenda. And there, I think definitely we're going to see efforts to bring together the domestic terror agenda uh, with the biosecurity agenda. Uh, why wouldn't it be interrelated? And actually in 2020, I don't know if you remember, there were these claims like neo-Nazis are licking people's doorknobs to give right. them COVID. Right. There's a lot of efforts to patch that together. I mean, yeah, yeah. They started it then. It didn't really catch on, but they go back and they're trying to adjust all this stuff. And we can talk about how they're going to try and get away with selling that to people by the way they're uh, weaponizing social media right now. Yeah. Um, There's a video that was recently put out. And again, it comes from Russian government. So it should take that with, you know, grain of salt. But showing one of the it was farm farm bio test was is a far as a a lab that got overtaken by Russian soldiers and they found all these weird chemical you know all this stuff and you yeah but that was funded by the u.s right those bio labs in ukraine are funded by the dtra exactly my point yeah yeah Mm -hmm. and so the point being is that these things are in fact happening or again assuming that is actually correct and it's happening in the middle of this 
it, on the ground in Ukraine, like just to see that overlap, what we're talking about with the very same entities that potentially could carry out these attacks. It's it's an alarming overlap. And I think we yeah, nobody wants to pay attention to it because we're not supposed to believe that they're there, you know. Right. Okay. So I think now is probably a good time to get really into what RIM is mm -hmm. uh, so we can see how silly this stuff is. Okay. So you want to go back to your article or you want to stay? Yeah, here? this is my article. Oh, you got it up. That's or right. T Lab, okay. it's just on my site because the text is easier to read for me at right, least. Right, right. I just okay. had to get new glasses and a new prescription because my eyes are like dying. <laughs> so, you know, sorry about that. Um, no, no but uh, so anyway, it says uh, so RIM advocates. And this is linking to that Stanford uh, source that was cited by the New York Times, right? Mm -hmm. Advocates for the reestablishment of the pre-1917 Russian Empire and the greater Russia, uh, which would exert influence over all territory inhabited by ethnic Russians. This is supposed to be the reason why they have supported uh, the Donbass leaving Ukraine, right? Um, their ideology, per Stanford, is described as white supremacist, monarchist, ultranationalist, pro-Russian Orthodox and anti-Semitic, but they are not considered neo-Nazi, but they have allegedly worked to build ties with other far-right groups that do have neo-Nazi connections. Mm -hmm. So here we get into this Swedish event. RIM was allegedly responsible for training a bomber whose acts resulted in no deaths in Sweden from 2016 to 2017, the bomber. And we've seen this event cited Politico, the New York Times, and repeated by countless national security officials. OK, right. so this is very significant. We need to know more of the details about what the society will just right. be like. Men in Sweden it, did this bad thing. And that's why we did this. It makes I, no sense. It doesn't. I'm still here, by the way. Keep going. I just let you know. Oh, I can I can see you. So. Oh, OK. No, no. Well, I mean, I can, I'm, but, I'm, yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. So <laughs> now I get what you mean. Sorry. I was looking at the article. So anyway, it says here the bomber Victor Mellon was not was not an active RIM member, but was reportedly trained by them. So the training isn't even confirmed. Okay. And he conducted two of his three bombings with an individual completely unaffiliated with RIM. Mellon at the time was not a member of RIM, but a member of the Nordic resistance movement. This is important for a second in a second. So a few years later in April, 2020. So this event that creates no deaths and is not actually tied to RIM uh, in any meaningful way, only speculatively really uh, in April, 2020, is used as the sole justification to add RIM to the specially designated global terrorist entity list by the U.S. So, and they became, as, as it's noted here, the first white supremacist group to receive that label, right? So if you're going to decide, announce the first time you've ever labeled a very particular class of groups to the terror list, Normally, you would do that because they've killed people or they've conducted acts of terror that are significant or meaningful. In this case, uh, no deaths and no definitive connection to the Russian imperial movement at all. And the organization to which the perpetrator who's, you know, being used as the justification for this, the group he was actually a member of, the Nordic resistance movement, has never been added to that list. That's crazy. So there's a very specific, and I think it's very clear that it's a political reason right. uh, behind RIM being added to this list. I mean, it, how could it not be anything else? Because there's there's no um, massive web of financing behind it. They don't have attacks under their belt. Uh, they have to rely on an attack that didn't kill anyone and didn't even have a direct affiliation to the group. And it's the only thing they cite. I mean, it, it's clearly 
insane, even for them. And these are the people that, you know, the WMDs and all of that stuff. That stuff was actually a better constructed lie than this. And that is saying an awful lot. And speaking of that, tying in Mike Pompeo to all this, just we lie, we cheat, we steal Pompeo, I think is hilarious. Well, so at the time he's secretary of state and then he becomes CIA director. Right. Right. Okay. <laughs> he's such a such a ghoul. And uh, yeah, he he's also the same guy, Mike Pompeo that does this. Is the guy that goes and to be like, "We lie, we cheat, we steal." Da 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 CIA. Right. You know, I mean, it's just very silly. So yeah, when they tell you who they are, pay attention, right? So then now we're back to the Stanford group and you can see mm-hmm. here in the link, that's what I'm citing, the same thing that's deemed authoritative about this group by the New York Times. Okay. Mm-hmm. So um, they now allegedly number in the several thousand worldwide, but little publicly available evidence exists to support the statistic. And that statistic only emerged a month after the U.S. terror designation and originated from an institute based in the U.S. So no one cared about the numbers of these guys until it, w- it received this very suspect des- designation as a mm-hmm. terror group. And they're like, well, I guess now that they're in the news and they're talking about how they're a threat, we should try and figure out how many members there are. But it's just one institute being like, well, we think it's several thousand. They don't actually know. Like, there's no meaningful statistic there. And you, you can see that reflected in the Stanford piece mm-hmm. as well. So there are also, as I note here, no statistics available on the number of individuals they have allegedly trained, which included this melon guy that, you know, Mm -hmm. is used as the main justification for adding them to the terror list. But per the U.S. government, RIMS reach is global, even though they don't know how many members they have or where they are or how many people they've allegedly trained. The U.S. promises you they're global and are also involved in the U.S. Here is what the u.s ties actually are and this again is a uh, is straight from stanford right mm-hmm. um it's u.s ties are based on dubious allegations of a relationship with adam waffen's divisions uh russian affiliate in a quote-unquote personal relationship with a unite the right the charlottesville rally there organizer named matthew himbach uh, but this is based on the allegations, again, not direct evidence that Himback received funds from RIM, but there's no evidence. There's no like actual evidence, like receipts of transfers or anything right. to, sit, to show there was financing. It's an allegation and that's it. And this okay. is while Autumn Waffen Division does have provable connections to the Azov Battalion movement, as well as the fact that the sure. Unite the Right does, right? This is just but, a clear effort to try to make that right. the case. With them. So going back to RIM, Heimbach's group, has been inactive since 2018. So him back, they're saying when they designated a terror group, they do it because it has global reach. It extends to the U.S. So thus is concerning to American national security. But the only U.S. tie is the claim RIM might have financed this guy without evidence. And the guy they financed, their group has, was inactive two years before the designation was made. Ridiculous. It's It's just dumb they think we're so dumb so anyway it's also alleged that rim offered to train other figures but there's no evidence that any of that actually took place and and there is also no evidence of any u.s citizen ever participating in paramilitary training with rim 
Right. And well, in your second part of that sentence, though, is that they they themselves said that they they deny that they both the rim and the people that are supposed to have trained denied that that even happened. It's just, you know, right. They both deny it, but they still run with it. So remember back here, we saw a guy named sorry, I'll pull him up. Nathan Sales, who says this recent alleged bombing tied to rim in, in Russia was a warning shot. Well, here he is again, Nathan Sales. All of this stuff I just laid out here, up here in the previous paragraph, contradicts, and remember, this information is from Stanford, which New York Times themselves refer to as an authoritative source on RIM, but they only Mm -hmm. cite like one sentence out of like this multi-page report, obviously. Um, Cherry picking is what that's called. Totally. (laughs) So Nathan Sales' April 2020 claim is that RIM plays a, quote, prominent role in trying to rally like-minded Europeans and Americans into a common front against their perceived enemies. Where's the evidence for that? Right. There is no evidence. That's the conclusion. So, um, Despite the lack of evidence, again, there, there's efforts to use RIM as proof of a large interconnected transnational network of violent white supremacists. And the source I have for this is the Foundation for the Defense of Democracy, uh, which is a neocon organization through and through and intimately actually mm-hmm. tied, if you look into it, uh, to Zionism and the state of Israel. Um, so anyway, it's specifically citing this Um a particular uh, video that includes people from uh, the Atlantic Council and the United Nations, uh, top people at FDD. Uh, so, what's the date? What's the date on this post right here? Uh, June twenty twenty. See, it, that's again just so interesting to point out that well before twenty twenty and before the Atlantic. As Council everyone's itself. distracted with COVID rolling out, there's loads of content being produced by by. Politico, the New York Times, uh, Wired, and a lot of these think tanks all about the white supremacist threat. Right. What I was going to say, though, is that, that at the time they're writing this and they're citing the Atlantic Council as the argument, they themselves, previous and of this very same year, were making arguments that the Azov movement was the transnational threat. So it's like, make sense of that for anybody. Like, it just, it's ridiculous and it counteracts, you know, so they're lying. My point is they must know that they're making this up like as an entity, which is not that hard to to grasp. So anyway, I talk about how odd all this stuff is uh, on this particular stuff. But I said, uh, in the context of current events in Ukraine, and again, this is last year, Mm -hmm. uh, the 2020 designation of RIM begins to make more sense, at least from the U.S. national security perspective. So here we go. RIM is alleged to support separatists in Ukraine's Donetsk and Luhansk region since 2014 and has been described by the U.S. as anti-Ukrainian. Well, you can't say that about Azov Battalion. So obviously this group is very attractive to people trying to manufacture a narrative that there's a mm-hmm. white supremacist group on the other side against Azov Battalion. Mm-hmm. To justify, right. to be like, well, you know, uh, you know, so them funding Nazis doesn't look so bad, essentially. Right, the good Nazis. Among other reasons. But they yeah. can't use Azov Battalion for this boogeyman stuff they're doing right now because they need one that opposes what the U.S. supports in the current Ukraine conflict. And RIM is the only one that fits that, and that's why they are, like, forcing this narrative, even though the evidence for it is just completely nonsensical and not not there. You just, know? Your, just your opinion. Do you think that had the independent media or anybody for that matter, not kind of exposed the CIA tie to the growth of that. Do you think they wouldn't have gone this route just in your opinion? I don't know. It's possible. But again, I don't think they really care. I think Mm -hmm. they're so good at manipulating people's perceptions um, of events 
yeah. that it's uh i think they're pretty confident they can spin whatever i mean they do it all the time so I, I think overconfident my personal opinion today i think they've lost a lot of traction that they don't realize because yeah of yeah but i think i think they're still uh confident about certain stuff even if mm -hmm. that confidence isn't merited if that makes sense totally so um anyway well going back to rim mm -hmm. um so this um let's see is this yeah so this is stanford again specifically mm -hmm. referring to Stanford Center for International Security and Cooperation, which is, again, the report from Stanford I've been citing and the New York Times has cited. So uh, this is a pro-Western opinion of all the information I'm citing about how it's like there's no real threat there is coming from like a pro-NATO, pro-Western link to the U.S. government think tank. Right. So imagine what it is like in reality. You know Seriously. what I mean? Yeah. Like, <laughs> It's just well, that, that's, the, so. that's the hilarious part of all of this is that, like you're saying, is that they're literally citing that, but that very same article contradicts what they're trying to argue. So they must know that they're playing this game. Yeah. So again, the other narrative about RIM, to recap, we have this narrative that they're a threat training people in Europe and the US. There's mm -hmm. no evidence for that. Mm -hmm. Except maybe to a, a small extent, there's the claim in Europe, like this particular Swedish guy that wasn't a member of RIM was allegedly trained by them. That's all they have to go on from that okay and it killed no people mm -hmm. so the other claim about rim is that it's anti-ukrainian uh so how involved are they actually in the hostilities in ukraine uh well here here's what it's here's what the stanford report says the number of fighters sent by or trained by rim in, in eastern ukraine is unknown the one report states that's cited by stanford rim sent groups of five to six fighters from Russia to Eastern Ukraine in mid-June 2014. RIM's paramilitary arm has not been active in Ukraine since January 2016. This is years before the terror designation. And five to six people? Transnational. Nine years ago? Yeah. That's pathetic. I mean, that, it, that is... This is a joke. It is. I just can't... It's amazing to me. And... Yeah, okay, so what's more amazing to me, when this happened with Iraq and Saddam Hussein and all of those lies, Democracy Now!, Matt Taibbi, all of these guys were exposing how much crap this was. Mm -hmm. What are they, or do they talk about this now? I, right. I'm honestly curious if anyone's seen that. Right, it's all Twitter files today. That's the important stuff. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> we could talk about that afterward. But yeah, yeah no, so, but it's important. To, the, the, what what do you think that means right there, though? That they're that they're you know not looking at it on purpose, or or that it's something that no, so like them? they they did not have a group ideal to the narrative that they have been trying to run with, and so they're trying to make this one work because it's the closest thing that can work, and so. Um, Unfortunately, it doesn't fit with the timeline at all. And it's very negligible. I mean, it's very negligible, the mm -hmm. influence this group has. Yeah. I think that's very obvious. It is. But they need, they need a group that they can call white supremacist. Okay. In RIM, you can't call white supremacist. Yeah. But they need to inflate their influence and power. They do that by putting them on this list, despite having no reason to have them on the list. And then right. they put out press releases about this list. And so now everyone's looking at this group and no one was looking at them before. Mm -hmm. And out of these particular groups that are in, either in, in the active in, in Russia, you know, we talked about the base a, a little bit ago. This is the only one that's that they can call anti-Ukrainian. 
because right. they were involved with um, separatist stuff in, in the Donbass region. But at the same time, I would argue that this is going to be used by the national security state to paint people who support uh, Donbass uh, independence um, as, you know, RIM affiliates. Mm-hmm. as white supremacist or something. I mean, I could very right. much see if they're willing to do this stuff that we've just been talking about that makes no sense. I mean, they definitely spin that narrative totally if it agree. suited them and Absolutely. it probably will at some point. So anyway, you have some weird uh, allegations that they, you know, that RIM members ended up on li- in Libya and also in the Syrian conflict. But again, it's very <laughs> minimal, the claim there. And the fact that you'd have this organization go, all over these different spots. I mean, just- we'll see right there. Doesn't that that's that speaks far more to connections to some kind of CIA led apparatus than any kind of white supremacy that they're in Syria and Libya. <laughs> like it just seems ridiculous. Yeah, it, who knows? So, it, but the my, the main point is this group has negligible influence, and it's mm-hmm. a manufactured threat. Right. Rim. Meanwhile, as I keep pointing so out, the fact an obvious one that they're building them up as the boogeyman now, people need to know the facts about this group and how this is 100% all hype. It's mm-hmm. all hype. Right. And it, this is this is WMD 2.0. And for an, anti-war people who actually care about what's going on right now, this needs to be debunked or we are going to be led down war on terror 2.0. And it's going to have major repercussions, not just for U.S. foreign policy and war abroad, but for civil liberties domestically. Yep. In a huge way. This is arguably bigger than the uh, WMD lie. And as far as I know, uh, very few people are covering it. I, if any. I mean, compared, it's, I compared to, you know, WMD stuff. Right. Yeah. Well, it, the I, I mean, is- only the people that you've shouted in, in the article in general. I, I haven't seen really any. Like, I think you mentioned, um, which one was it? The, uh, what is it called? I, I can't find it all of a sudden. There's an article. Was it? Well, that's not talking about RIM, I think. It's talking about Azov Battalion. Starts with a J. Yeah. What say it again? What was it? Jacobin. It's yes, like a yes. socialist magazine. Yeah. Yeah. Well, just but the point is there's a very few yeah, there it is. Now I found it. But a lot there's very few of them that have been really kind of in my mind piecing together all of these parts. You know, there's a lot of people that are gonna say Azov is, you know, fascist, Nazi, but to connect it with what you're talking about, I I really don't see anybody out doing that other than the, the ones you cited in there. And that's, well, as far as RIM, it goes, no one's been talking about it uh, from what I've seen. And mm-hmm. now we see that this is going to be uh, the boogeyman for events blamed on Ukraine. And if you're going to have random terror attacks throughout Europe, uh, you know, this happened with U.S. intelligence and Operation Gladio. Well, would they not use the same playbook again and blame it on their preferred boogeyman that has no actual impact and is just like a manufactured boogeyman? Right. Yeah, it's I mean, they've done work. it historically before. So yeah. like... And it worked in know. the past. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, if you're, if you're done with the article, I'll, I'll take it to the next, the next part that I was. Well, I just got uh, oh, go a, just a little bit to say left. Mm-hmm. So again, this claim, it's a transnational network. There's no evidence for this as uh, we've gone through pretty extensively, but mm-hmm. uh, you did bring it up earlier. Uh, the just security, this think tank that uh, its advisors are Avril Haynes, uh, who was at the WEF meeting, participated in event 201, current head of national intelligence under Biden and was CIA deputy director under uh, John Brennan, I believe. And then uh, Hillary Clinton's flunky, uh, Jake (laughs) Sullivan, who's national security advisor for Biden, uh, are the top advisors at Just Security. Honest people all around. Go ahead. 
So anyway, the Just Security article, um, I'll take my screen down if you want to go through it on your end, because I think it's very instructive about how this narrative has been perpetrated. Um, mm -hmm. they, use, they cite RIM a lot, and this is back in, I think, early 2020 as well, um, to argue that Russia's government plays a major role in transnational white supremacy due to, again, the same narrative perpetuated by the New York Times more recently, a mutual affection between Western white supremacists and the Russian government. Go and they claim that Russia... Screen. If you want mm -hmm. to bring the Just Security article, if you want to go into it, go ahead and bring it up on your screen so you can. Yeah, well, let me go through my uh, what I say here about it. So they claim oh, Russia sorry. tolerates were, RIM domestically one. and mm -hmm. that the Kremlin facilitates the growth of right wing extremism in Europe and the US through RIM. There's no evidence, and you can see that in the piece. But right. again, RIM has vocally opposed this is going back to the Stanford source that, you know, New York Times or Just Security uh, thinks is authoritative when it says stuff they want to hear about RIM, but mm -hmm. not when it, it, it doesn't, um, has been labeled an extremist group by the Russian government. So RIM is basically on a, a, a terrorist equivalent list in Russia. Yeah. And their offices have been raided by Russian police because they oppose Putin. Um, and they have a, as mentioned in the New York times they're they've been very critical of how Russia's conducted the recent iteration of, of the, uh, uh, Ukraine, Russia situation over the past year. And, and just to be clear on so. that point there is that th those are relevant points, but just to be fair and objective, you know, you could argue that the other side of it, you know, the Al Qaeda argument that they pretend they're fighting them and they pretend they're going after them, but they're obviously funding. And so it's certainly possible. So like that, the argument being that that doesn't prove that Russia is not still funding them just to be, you know, show both sides of it. But I think that everything else around all of that, and then you see that they've raided the offices and don't support them, that it makes it much more clear. Right. So the just security thing, again, this is the think tank tied to the top national security people in Biden's administration. Mm -hmm. OK. Um, and the title, as you can see here, confronting Russia's role in transnational white supremacist extremism. It starts off talking about the base. Some guy that was in the base claimed that the group's leader was a Russian spy. But again, we talked about how Nazaro was actually a DHS guy. <laughs> Well, the DHS put out its own letter confirming that, that he'd worked for us yeah, and he has yeah. top secret clearance and all this stuff. Yeah. And then, it, you know, it, it, it picks stuff from, you know, David Duke, Russia's key to white survival, Richard Spencer, sole white power in the world. But that doesn't have anything to do with financing or supporting, act, like actual support from Russia to right white supremacism or, or whether these entities themselves are part of the illusion and and you know characters themselves like i you know I, I question whether these people are whether or not they're being influenced by something other than their ideology basically yeah so here it's saying the russian government's exploiting its interest it it, it claims it actively cultivates neo-nazism in the west and this is again through alleged russian influence campaigns that you know, at least more people, you know, of course, you and I have been pretty critical about the Twitter files rollout, but it's made it pretty clear, at least, that a lot of what was claimed to be Russian bot activity on that particular social media network was not that. Right. Um, and a lot of this, what we've been told about, like, you know, Russian white supremacy, extremism on the Internet, misinformation, blah, 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 is not what, you know, the national security state and its appendages were claiming. Mm -hmm. So, again, it's very silly. Um Let's see. Uh, yeah. So Putin, Putin's support for right wing violence in the West. There's no evidence to support that claim. Mm -hmm. Can you think of any examples? Um, 
Well, it's typical that they just misrepresent what he says, you know, like they, he'll say something completely benign and they'll just take one word and make it into something that it's not, which is typical. And it happens in reverse, but yeah, Yeah. your point, there's no evidence of that actually being stated. They just go wink, wink. Here's what he means when he says that, you know, typical. Yeah. So here's them talking about rim. And if you read this, they're talking about what rims ambitions allegedly are not what rim has actually done or actually does very significant difference there. And then they claim recent years, their terror training has proven deadly, again, citing the Swedish events that killed no one mm-hmm. and did not Dead, involve. But they're deadly. <laughs> yeah. It, they were not affiliated with RIM. Allegedly, they attended the training camp. Yeah. Uh, but they were both members of the Nordic resistance movement, not added to the terror list of the U.S. Of course, because that makes sense. Apparently, that one's fine. So... <laughs> And then they're like, well, the Nordic resistance movement works with RIM. Uh, you know, I mean, sorry, I haven't read this article in a while, so okay. and I, I don't have it highlighted. But, I mean, people can read this for themselves uh, to see how this narrative has been uh, set up mm-hmm. um, over time. See, the Kremlin support for RIM only amounts to tacit approval. What's so tacit approval? And see, that's interesting. This is my point. There is no on-the-record approval. It's the fact that they claim because it's there, they therefore support it. But check out the the subheading here. Direct tactical and ideological support. (laughs) So to recap, confronting Russia's role in transnational white supremacist extremism. So they have all this stuff. And when they actually get down to showing Russia's direct tactical and ideological support for these organizations, they're only talking about RIM and they're talking about the U- Russia's government, what they call tacit approval of RIM. And as I, as I mentioned in my article, they don't mm-hmm. talk about how their offices have been raided. They're on an extremist watch list uh, in Russia. So that's not really a fair assessment. And the but, arguments you see in CNN and elsewhere that they, they state plainly is that they be simply because they're there. That's the proof that Russia is supporting it. No, but the, this paragraph, I'm urging everyone watching this to actually take the time mm-hmm. and read this particular paragraph. Okay. So just the first sentence, although the Kremlin support for RIM only amounts to tacit approval, Russian intelligence officials have directly interacted with other far right groups, such as the Hungarian National Front. Hmm. So if you follow the rest of this paragraph after this sentence, it only talks about the Hungarian National Front. (laughs) Of course. It doesn't talk about RIM. So when it gets direct tactical and ideological support, which up to this point in the article, more than half the article is about RIM, they get to direct evidence of Russia supporting RIM. And (laughs) they start talking about a completely different organization um, that hasn't done anything either. And that's the Um, entire basis for the direct support, which means there's none. It's, It's silly. It really is. That this shows you that their objective was to make this argument even regardless of the evidence. Yeah, but then after after that, bait and switch, they go, given this understanding of Russia's complicity in this growing threat, wait, what? Right. Well, I think I it's hilarious know. that that first sentence is under the, t- the title, <laughs> confirming the direct support, and then they go, but it's not there. <laughs> it's just, you know, the whole thing. It's, 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 if you have any discernment, if you're able to think outside of your politics, it's obvious that this is an effort it's to sell you yeah. on something. So, yes, exactly. So remember, this is about how Russia is allegedly supporting transnational white supremacism. Mm-hmm. So, they, so how do we confront Russia's state sponsorship of this terrorism they allegedly support but provide no direct evidence of, of supporting? Uh, here's the giveaway. 
In the United States, lawmakers should adopt policies that boost resources for domestic terrorism prevention and aim to reduce the lethality of terrorist attacks. Pre-crime. Hoorah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's what we're That's talking what about, right? We're... You've written about that screening a lot. efforts at, at the Pentagon, interventions that precede the threshold for legal investigation. That's a call for pre-crime. Exactly. Yep. That's mm-hmm. scary stuff, by the way, whether yep. medical or normal. That's alarming. Okay. So to alarming. recap, just mm-hmm. security tied to the intelligence, you know, CIA people. It goes, Russia's supporting white supremacist groups. Look at RIM. This is the scary group that we're writing about. Direct evidence that Russia supports RIM. Well, uh, <laughs> Hungarian National Front. Same kind what of thing. What can we do to stop <laughs> Russia's complicity in supporting RIM? Uh, pre-crime in the U.S., Perfect. Okay, that's yeah. what this paper is. It's insane. It and is. Just, you know, meh, 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 meh. These people are crazy. It really is. I mean, it's and on on the surface. That's my. If that's this is generally why I keep making the argument that I don't. Whether it be because because of COVID or whatever else, people are questioning more than ever today, and I just don't think this is falling connecting for most people right now. They're like, but wait a minute. Because, I mean, it's very simple, isn't it? I mean, you're, it's, it used to feel like it was clear to us, but I'm starting to think that more and more people are beginning to just ask these questions, maybe because of your work and elsewhere. Yeah, so, I mean, this is a totally crazy article. Please go and read it, people, so you can see, you know, all the stuff they're trying to get uh, in here, essentially. Uh, mm-hmm. But I would say also, here, here's how they're trying to tie it back in. Um, it is critical to note that white supremacist extremism is not a threat conjured off by a far off Russian bogeyman. Uh, bogeyman. It is rather America's original sin. In fact, it has often been white supremacist extremists in the U.S. who have exported their ideology and violence across the globe. So actually, Russia's extremism is actually uh, this alleged threat that they're talking about this whole thing. It's actually a, a result of our, you know of u.s white supremacy and that's why we have to have pre-crime in the u.s to confront russian transnational white supremacism wow what that's a politically true. driven argument that's completely well the it's whole thing very is politically not driven reality. yeah i think well, that's just, pretty clear it is you, what they just said there you can very quickly and easily prove does not make sense with the roots of what they're pointing at that start before the creation of the united States. you know there, there's so many things that just don't make any sense they don't care they don't seem to even care about the facts yeah no, not at all. So anyway, that was my stuff about RIM. But the other stuff I wanted to talk about in terms of this mm-hmm. narrative is how this was at the same time all over the media. So I um, here's a I'm going to open a Guardian editorial, a Salon editorial, and the Intercept. And there's also the one from the New York Times that you can find in my original article. But I don't, you know, I already had to go through a New York Times article today. Please don't make me torture myself. Mm-hmm. Um, say. So, Putinism is breeding in the heart of the Republican Party. Oh, no. Oh, well, I'll have to do this later and get rid of those anyway. Make no mistake, Putin's authoritarian neo-fascism has rooted itself in America. The Cold War has already come home. Uh, This was last March. And of course, it's uh, Trump there. So uh, the world is locked in a battle between democracy and authoritarianism. Of course, for him, the authoritarian side is Vladimir Putin. Uh, It's a new Cold War, he says. The biggest difference between the old Cold War and this one is that uh, authoritarian neo-fascism is not just an external threat to America and Europe. It is also growing inside Western Europe and the U.S. because it's taken over what they argue is the Republican Party. Yeah. And this is a continuation of uh, Trump loves Russia um, narrative. 
And just to quickly um, point out, as you, as your audience and everyone else is well aware of the the idea that what we the most obvious example of fascism in this country is not coming from the right. It, it's really not. And just and I, but I, I don't see them as separate, quite honestly. But we have examples of open fascism, whether it's the the pandemic or anything else. So it's just it's all clumsy. It's an effort to blame them. You know, what, I mean, what do you think about that in general? And you can a- get into it afterward. Why the right is focused on in this case. What do you mean? Why the right is focused on what? Like the whole point seems to be focusing on like blaming the right, the MAGA, all this as the white supremacy entities or rather just fascist specifically. Well, there's why. Well, would Yeah. It, so I think I think there's an effort like pushback, for example, in in conservative era areas against stuff like critical race theory. I could see these same people writing these kind of editorials to be like, this is proof that white supremacist ideology has taken hold in the heartland or something. Yeah, but so you so know. basically, so it's based on on how they perceive actions, not actual action, which is you know like we're seeing fascist things roll out with Antifa or with these other groups or the pandemic lockdown. You know, the left being more prominent about it. Anyway, well, this I is this is why I asked you in the beginning how big you live in the South. I'm from the South. In your life, uh, in Tennessee, how mm-hmm. big of a threat do you see white supremacist organizations? Do people around you talk about how scared they are about white supremacists? Yeah, I mean, yeah, same point from, yeah, the idea. Are there racial killings where you live, Ryan? No. Have you heard about them elsewhere? Right, right. I agree completely with you. I think that the point is that it's overblown and there are extremists. They do exist. But this idea that there's some underbelly resistance growing, I just, you know, certainly possible. I see no evidence of it. Narrative is being promoted very heavily. So we need to understand what the narrative is. It's not connected to reality. It's a narrative that they want to manipulate people's perception to believe. And to believe right. is real when it, the evidence shows it is not real. And that's right. all the overarching purpose of this entire conversation. Absolutely. So here it says here in this part, uh, he's trying to compare Putin's uh, attack on Ukraine to January 6th. They resemble one another in their contempt for democratic institutions and their attempts to justify violence by asserting a threat to a dominant racial or ethnic group. So was January 6th about race or wasn't it about yeah. uh, concern about uh, the 2020 elections right. and not believing the result? And it was multiracial. That's not a racist issue. No. So well, I it mean, was this multiracial. Is like this is the game. And of the Ukraine invasion was right, not. That they are racist. Well, just real yeah. quickly, the, the game is that that they they if they're right, they're white supremacists, whether or not they're black. This is why we use the the vanilla ISIS game. You know that it's 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 on its face ridiculous, like everything else we've discussed. Yeah. So I mean. Uh, here he's talking about how Zelensky is so courageous and what a great guy Zelensky is. And, and Trump presumably supported uh, Trump because he doesn't like, uh, because Trump wasn't a fan of NATO. Well, yeah, I mean, NATO has expanded uh, long beyond it was supposed to. And is like, Russia's always been very clear. It's a threat. And one of the reasons this whole conflict with Ukraine even happened is because of how cozy you could argue pretty easily thanks to the CIA funding their intelligence agencies for seven years, started to make inroads to joining NATO. Mm -hmm. And we know that there were efforts to end the conflict as long as Ukraine agreed to not join NATO. And then Boris Johnson intervened. Right. Okay. So whatever. (laughs) Well, yeah, it's just, it's plainly obvious. I mean, there's even no explanation. It's very clear. So here's the end of the article. It may be possible to prevent Putin's aggression from spreading to the rest of Europe, but it's not possible to win a cold civil war inside America without destroying the United States. Another of Putin's objectives when he ordered his spy agencies to help Trump. So again, this is like a reiteration of Russiagate. It's it's a narrative essentially from the same people. Uh, Now here's an opinion piece from Salon. Uh, which at one point used to be a pretty anti-establishment magazine, uh, but now it's uh, 
don't think I'd say that. Oh, sorry, it loaded again. Um, okay, how white supremacy fuels the Republican love affair with Vladimir Putin and has Tucker Carlson in between uh, Trump and uh, Putin. Uh, racism is not an opinion, it's a fact. Um, this is true in the U.S. and around the world. Well, okay, what does that have to do with Tucker Carlson and all these guys? Um, racism and white supremacy continue to structure uh, supremacy continue to structure American society, um, and and you know goes on and talks about stuff and you know stuff. I think everyone's uh, heard people say at some point in their lives. Um, okay, so the false game is that I don't think there's anybody truly acting like this doesn't exist. Maybe some people in a small group. Yeah, yeah. Most people are like, well, clearly you're just overrepresenting it. They play it as if we're denying that racism is even real. It's it's a it's false choice as always. Yeah. So, you know, he's basically saying like, okay, so there's, uh, it's white supremacism that makes Republicans like Vladimir Putin is the thesis advanced in the title. Yeah. And so it's saying stuff like the Russian president is viewed as a champion of conservative values and the possibility of a return of what they have, meaning Americans, uh, have deluded themselves into believing was a golden age of white male Christian dominance over all areas of American society. <laughs> See, like, that's my point. Like, is that what they think or is that what they're saying? They <laughs> that, think, that's what the, you know? yeah, it, it's obviously the latter. And then it references right. that garden or editorial we just looked at. And then it references all these other editorials that came out in relatively close succession. Jewish Currents, um, the New York Times talking about the rights uh, preoccupation with Putin's supposed strength. Um, people that defend any sort of Putin or Russian policy are automatically white supremacists, basically. But it's not a policy that has, even if it's a policy that has nothing to do with race, if it's exactly. a geopolitical policy. So, I and, mean, obviously yeah. this is, this is not an honest argument, but right. what we are seeing here is a major effort to seed in mainstream media, particularly, particularly left leaning uh, audiences, um, audiences that tend to have a, I, I would assume a, a bulk of Biden supporters uh, to equate, white supremacy with uh people who uh, don't support u.s foreign policy or just because right more often than not simple. russia and the u.s are at odds about foreign policy duh mm -hmm. okay and so if you're going to oppose u.s foreign policy then you're de facto supporting russian foreign policy and they're arguing here the reason for why you might do that is because you're a racist <laughs> That's essentially right. implicit in here. Yeah, because, OK, so you're a racist if you support Putin's policies. That's what these articles are saying. OK, um, even though the, the policies don't have anything to do with race. So um, you, that means then in order to not be racist, whose policy do you support? The people what? opposing Russia foreign policy, which is going to be NATO. And this is the same binary kind of manipulation. That yeah, you everywhere, totally, right? totally binary. This is one of the most binary articles I think you could possibly read. Right. Um, and I mean, it's crazy. Here they go talking about how it's wrong that that people think Putin's a strong leader, but they and how that's fascistic. But they make no reference to stuff like Benjamin Netanyahu saying stuff like "only the yeah. strong survive and the weak fall and die, and we're going to take over all right. of Palestine." Yeah, or or you know? the religious Zionism party being outwardly openly fascist, and even yeah. Western leaders calling it that. Like again, it's just it's wildly <laughs> hypocritical the way. Yeah. That they so it. you know. 
r- racial supremacy. You want to see an actual racial supremacy organization and group with a death count? No, look no further than the state of Israel. I right. think that's pretty well, clear. I mean, but... look, leading, le- leading human rights organizations have literally called them a Jewish supremacy state. That's not my words. Those are Beth Selim. We have, you know, Amnesty International, Human Rights Watch openly calling them apartheid. You know, so it's just it's a game that's being played in, in the interest of time, though. Remember, I, I wanted to go through some last these points uh, before we get closer to when I have to break off. Um, so if you want to wrap this up real quickly and then we'll jump into the uh, the last few parts of the show today. Yeah, sure. So I was just showing this and there's another article by uh, James Rison who uh, recently tweeted that the church committee in the 70s uh, solved the CIA uh, uh, forever and that there's no deep state. And it's a right wing conspiracy to think that, um, <laughs> you know, national security agencies uh, run the show. <laughs> So, um, yeah, I think he's, he was also involved in sending a whistleblower to prison. Like a lot of people that work at the intercept, what do you know? So, yeah, yeah. um, I'll stop sharing then. Uh, sorry about that, but. Oh, no, um, no, no. Sorry. It's it just, unfortunately we have a time straight today. Otherwise I, I would let you go as long as you want it. I think this is wildly important. The, 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 the outline is very clear. And so just to bring this to the current point, I just want to, so this is something we've been waiting for. We've been talking about the, the moment when they start actually trying to execute this agenda to say, oh, yeah. oh, oh, see, Russia is funding what's happening in Ukraine. And my point in this article before the, we got to what the, the New York Times CNN discussion is this uh, January 13th was that I started to see this being seated on prominent and not so prominent social media accounts where they're responding in the typical conversations going, no, you conspiracy theorist, Russia's in fact funding, financing and supporting the groups that you think are, you know, the Azov movement and yeah, so on. Okay. That's the exact claim. Go ahead. Well, can then ask them, what's the evidence the Russian imperial movements involved in Ukraine? Right, right, exactly, exactly. And the point, it doesn't even matter. I, I, I argue that you Ask them what talks. the evidence is that the Russian imperial movement did the letter bombing in Spain. Anonymous right. U.S. officials, no names of the members, no names of, I mean, it's just, it, there's no details. It's exactly. literally just an anonymous allegation with no supporting evidence. Sounds like the Twitter files. Exactly like these people, these people ultimately are happy to go along with whatever is put in front of them because the right people say so. That's been something long before Twitter files that has been kind of engineered. You know, all you need well, is the authoritative <clears throat> source and the anonymous people behind them and you can report it or whatever else. Yeah. Well, I'm really bothered by some major aspects of the Twitter files. One of it being that it's giving legitimacy to certain people in media that don't deserve it. So mm-hmm. a big one, obviously there would be Barry Weiss. who's basically a paid Israeli government propagandist. I agree. Um, launched a new website at the same time that she began her involvement with the Twitter files um, uh, that now has a lot of followers and a large paid, following on Substack as a result of her Twitter files uh, collaboration. Right. Mm -hmm, right. Um, And then you have people like this Michael Schellenberger guy who recently wrote, uh, Oh, look, the great reset is real. Let me tell you all about Klaus Schwab. And it's like stuff that uh, like, have you been under a rock for three years, dude? Right. It seems very controlled and very. Okay, so now we have to trust this guy because he's the authoritative Twitter files guy. He knows what the World Economic Forum is really up to. Uh, when the people that have been heavily censored, the stuff that the Twitter files is supposedly writing about about how we've been censored. Don't listen to the people who were censored for being right. Right. Listen to the people uh, in, in conjunction with, with Twitter's lawyers releasing yeah. limited information on, on that censorship, which we already knew was happening. Exactly. Because we were censored, right? Exactly. With and, no source material. Yeah, and, and screenshots and yeah, yeah. I mean, I 
there's a lot going on in social media right now. And I think the end goal is to manipulate perception more than, than it ever has been before about current events. Totally. Um, and the censorship we saw over the past three years is going to be significantly worse in the future. And I think they're going to get more creative with it. And AI is going to play a major role in that. Um, but the PSYOP stuff is going to get crazy now that this stuff like chat GPT is out there. Yahoo news uh, and other mainstream media organizations are saying 90% of all content on the internet is going to be produced by AI chatbots like G- chat GPT by 2025. That's two years from now. Right. Right. How and much what, of what? the content on the internet now is produced by that? How many accounts on Twitter and how long has it been that way? Produce content like that with the intention of influencing public opinion. Remember Elon Musk helped create the company that produced chat GPT. Exactly. I Why mean, would they not collaborate? Let, let's, let's finish. I'll, I'm going to run through these last few points just to, so we're not too far con- disconnected from the story. And let's, oh, sure, let's, sorry. Let's, let's finish. Mm-hmm. No, you're good. I, I'm, I'm, we should have a whole show about what you're talking about right there. Yeah, but what, what now just want to give a shout out to 12 ball here, this account that, that you sent me that was going through this and showing this article and then gave you a shout out here in the middle about how you called this in regard to the Russian imperial movement. And I just think that's important, you know, that people are picking up on this elsewhere. Um, And uh, just here was the CNN article. Here's the New York Times article. To finish off, though, the points I wanted to get into was the overlap with the Azov movement and what happened in Spain. And I find this to be very interesting. And here's an older article discussing, uh, and it's translated, so it's the cats of this battalion are covered by funded by Kolomoisky, which we know. And it says the or- mm-hmm. owner of the Ukrainian electric network, as well as the the TV station, uh, and it says yeah, and, and has Israeli passport, right? And yeah, but here's the point: Azov is associated with other far right and Nazi organizations of the world, specifically the Spanish National Identity Front, or in its Spanish, it says something else. So first thing I was like, okay, well that's interesting. They have a Spanish representation. That doesn't necessarily prove that there was some overlap there but it certainly could be and i think that's important to ask um here oh actually a little out of order this i just wanted to point this out neo-nazis are exploiting russia's war in ukraine for their own purposes again how funny it was this is march 2022 that they're openly discussing this about the transnational entities as they're right now trying to blame russian movement with no evidence it's hilarious but just really quickly, the point, that's generally the point of the article. I thought it was interesting that it says this would be the would be militants have been recruited by groups like the Azov movement, a far right nationalist Ukrainian paramilitary uh, political movement. Oh, it's this one right here. It says, to be clear, not all in the far right adore the Azov, which some see as having ties to Israel, Jewish funders. That's an interesting point to throw in there right now, seeing as how Israel is openly funding them. And as they argue that they're not neo-Nazi, I just thought that was an interesting point. But overall, to remember that we know that the rise above movement is a direct international arm of, oh, I just use this one in general of the Azov movement. As I made clear, this is just a quick little tweet. You guys to check out just so we know that. Now here's the interesting part to me. We just talked about or heard several Ukrainian leaders ousted amid corruption allegations. And this is just, this is from yesterday, I believe, or the day before. And many people were let go for all kinds of corruption. One of them I thought was very interesting. Deputy prosecutor general, uh, Simienko, was dismissed from his post. Oh, my God. Yeah, his removal comes after social media posts revealed he'd gone on a vacation to Spain in December. This is why I brought up the time frame. Now, this is just an overlap. You guys can think about this for what you will. An interesting well, overlap, to say it the is, very least. Isn't it? Yeah. And, and here's mm-hmm. the interesting part for me, is that going back to the article, we know that the time frame, uh, which one was more specific? I think it was this one. Either way, the time frame, that's why I was saying that earlier, is supposedly December, right? November into December. But they do argue that the attacks carried on into the end of the year. That's that's in these articles themselves. Mm -hmm. So my Mm -hmm. point is it's very interesting that his exact time frame was specifically from December into January. 
And I just think that's very interesting. And it doesn't exactly overlap. But the point is, we know there's a Spanish representation of this very entity. We know that he was literally in the country while this was happening. And then he gets let go by Zelensky. And I just find it very, oh, that's right here, actually. He went on vacation to Spain in December to January using a Mercedes car owned by, you know, and so on and so on. So just firstly, your thoughts on that, just the interesting overlap and the, how everything we pointed out, you can show overlaps and ties to Azov movement actually being present from the beginning of the rise above March in Charlottesville to now to attacks. And yeah, and just, and so kind of Azov battalion, as far as we know, like in talking about actual links to extremist groups in the U.S. and Europe. Mm-hmm. As a battalion, there is evidence for that with them, whereas with the Russian imperial movement, there is not. Right. Now, what I found really interesting, right, um, if you could bring up that article you had about the Kolominsky guy and how it referred to him, mm-hmm. the uh, Ukrainian-Israeli yeah. guy. Mm-hmm. Okay, so the, an oligarch, meaning an ultra-rich dude with dual citizenship in Ukraine and Israel, is the guy financing this stuff. Right. Okay. He's the chief so, backer of the Azov movement and Zelensky. Yeah. So remember how I said that the only true bit really in Russiagate about Trump has to do with his ties to Eastern Europe organized crime and those particular elements of organized crime were business partners of Robert Maxwell Mm -hmm. and how they were allowed to penetrate financial systems outside of Eastern Europe because Robert Maxwell helped them get Israeli passports that allowed them to operate in the Israeli and U.S. and European financial systems. Okay. So... With that being said, I would argue a lot of those uh, I've talked about in, in my book for people that have read it, uh, the Maxwell family very much involved with creating the technology that later, you know, is essentially Palantir today mm-hmm. and creating a lot of the technological and Silicon Valley based stuff involving the, both the U.S. and Israel tech, Israeli tech sectors for this purpose, um, for this domestic terror stuff. That's been going on for a very long time. Very much part of it. So it's very interesting that you have this guy who has Ukrainian and Israeli affiliations because this particular organized crime group that I talk about in the book and their ties to Maxwell and also to Trump, uh, is, it, it's focused on a guy named Simeon Moglovich. And if you paid attention to Russiagate reporting, his name popped up. And that's a fair connection. But mm-hmm. they tried to tie it to Russia and to Putin when really uh, Mogilevich is from Ukraine and he's an Eastern European crime guy with a lot of ties to the oligarchs who were essentially installed in Russia after the rape of Russia and the collapse of the Soviet Union, uh, but also elsewhere, right? So a lot of Soviet satellite states had these same oligarchs installed. And if you look at the people responsible for capital flight in that particular era, um, you have U.S. and Israeli intelligence all over the place. Right. And right. they're essentially the ones choosing to create these oligarchs. And this is just a fact. Most of those oligarchs happen to uh, be dual citizens with Israel. Exactly. Okay. Kolomoski. Oh, oh, go ahead. Are you done? And so this is a guy financing all these far right organizations. And keep in mind, too, Netanyahu, who is, is again in power, has said in the past that they like having anti-Semitism in the world because right. it justifies their national security policies, both domestically and internationally. Right. Okay. So with all of that in mind, this paragraph reads very, you know, is very significant and not talked about very much at all. And then, you know, you have people being like, why would Zelensky, a Jewish person, support Azov Battalion? Well, there it is right there. Right, right. And and Kolomoisky, don't forget, I believe, I, I remember, correct me if I'm wrong, I think it was TV1, this, the, the station. Either way, they ran, he, he was the owner of the TV station where Zelensky played the president on TV and remember that. The, oh, really? Oh, yes. that's not surprising. Yeah, Exa- yeah. And okay, then don't cool. forget that his entire cabinet <laughs> as his presidency are, par- are people that worked at the TV station. This is on, you can look this up on Wikipedia for crying out loud. Oh, they, 
he basically just became Wag the Dog in real life. You know, the situation where they all just continue the show and he funds them. He funds oh, the Azov man. movement, you know, and, and I believe he was even part of the World Jewish Congress. And there's all these overlaps there. And, and what all- a crazy world we are living in, dude. All right. Yeah. So, and, well, last again, point, last point, the January yeah. 6th overlap as well. Don't forget that on the ground there, which we later find out that they don't want to talk about at the commission. There was a Ukrainian individual associated with the Azov movement who was there recorded yelling, let's go in Russian. You know what I mean? Like these things you just can't miss. All these piece together, I think it becomes very clear that this is like January 6th was an effort to kind of kick this off in the West. So I would really, you know, to wrap up here, I would really encourage people watching. um, If you follow an anti-war commentator or journalist, an independent media today, who, who claims to care about the war in Ukraine, how this could spill over into nuclear insanity and Armageddon uh, or the war on domestic terrorists of any of that stuff. Uh, please show them the Russian imperial movement lie that's on scale with the WMD lie and how it's being scaled up. We exactly. have to pre-bunk to use their terms, people against a narrative that is going to be used to sell the next 9-11, the next actual, like in terms of death and stuff, um to people because i don't think january 6th like bothered that many americans like they make a a big kerfuffle about it in the media and like in congress and stuff Mm -hmm. but like regular americans don't care but regular americans that care about 9-11 so i'm i'm very much suspect that at some point there's going to be some sort of event that's meant to galvanize and upset americans to manufacture consent for insane policies okay i agree and it's very likely meant to be yeah, and it's very likely that we're going to keep seeing this Russian imperial movement happen. So the people, the big anti-war people with platforms should all be talking about this. I agree. Or at I agree. least cover it to some extent. Um, and I haven't seen any any real interest, um, and I find that really disappointing uh, for whatever reason. So. Me too. Well, I've got two last points, and I really do want to spend at least a couple minutes talking about what you were saying there. But just this is hilarious to me that this is as of the 21st. Facebook meta removes Azov regiment from its dangerous organizations list right now that happens even while they're admitting that there is some overlap here. And then we know, and here we just again to overlap with literally the Atlantic council in 2020, the Azov regiment has not depoliticized. And it says the Azov regiment within Ukraine's national guard has in recent years sought to distance itself from the Azov movement's roots in the far right. This has been used as the arguments against calls from some quarters of the U.S. to define them as a terrorist organization. However, despite claims they moved away from that ideology, the available evidence indicates the opposite, essentially. And this was on the record right up until we started this, and then it just became the other side of it. Here is uh, Kuzumenko, another, basically one of the founding members of this concept, uh, openly talking about expansionist agenda for Ukraine and fight of the civil- uh, civilizations. We have to attain victories over foreign enemies by grabbing territory. Azov's promo video and the rollout of the Centura organization. But that's not Nazi at all, Ryan. Well, well, for, well, you, you, even if you want to play that game, the point is they're openly talking about exactly what they say. The no, I'm, I'm, I'm joking. Oh, I remember, know. I like know. Hitler annexed Poland and all that stuff. Right. So right. I right. I, I was just going along with like, the, even if you want to move aside from that argument, the point is they're blatantly telling. <laughs> you what they say they're not trying to do yeah and i just find it ridiculous i mean it it's ridiculous and just... so this is all super ridiculous it is it's it peak is. ridiculousness and I, one last shout out to your work on this topic please make sure you read her previous articles because i'm telling you guys it's, li- it's almost entirely what's happening right now if you my... again though it's important for people to mainstream media is retarded most of the time 
but you will find intelligent seated narratives in there. Like I did in this case, you look at the think tanks tied to the intelligence linked factions currently in power. You will find a lot of those same narratives there before they get rolled out. Right. Sometimes they don't roll out the narratives. They test it and they're like, Oh, no one's buying that. And they go back and readjust. It's not going to essentially play out the same. They might, you know, seed it. But I think in this particular case, it's, uh, they made it very clear back in 2020, this is going to be like a big issue. And mm-hmm. this is their opportunity to make it a big issue because it didn't, you know, January 6th didn't really work out the way they necessarily wanted in terms of uh, being able to, you know, they develop policy documents and set up the infrastructure for what they want to do, but it hasn't really launched in earnest and exactly. they need some sort of event to launch it in earnest. And now we see the building blocks of that happening. The the vanilla ISIS, the, the white Qaeda, uh, 9-11, uh, that these guys have been predicting and warning about. Yep. But as we can see, you know, from what's happening recently, it is the it is WMD crap all over. And this is a stuff even bigger than the invasion of Iraq. So if you uh, were big on calling out the WMD lies back then, do it with this stuff, uh, because I'd rather not. Um, well, actually, I'm in a pretty good place, globally speaking, for nuclear war um, in, at the end of uh, the South American continent. But uh, most people watching probably are not. So, you know, let's try and avoid turning Earth into a giant smoking crater. <laughs> yeah, um you know, and talking about how we're being fed a boogeyman that doesn't actually like meaningfully exist. Right. And what the, and, and what is being advanced using that non-existent boogeyman. Um, I mean, I think it's really important. I think it's pretty clear. I do this too. has to be well, talked about. So please encourage people to talk about it, absolutely. including, uh, you know, people who just recently discovered the great reset. And now it's not a conspiracy theory, right? Uh, even though you and I and other people were smeared for uh, talking about the World Economic Forum back in 2020 and ever since. Uh, yep. Now it's OK. Um, so hopefully those people will catch up on this because uh, we need uh, all hands on deck. I wholeheartedly agree. Sure. Give, give me a couple minutes at the end here. Just I know I wish we had more time to get into it. But no worries. Another, another day. It's fine. Any, any of the last comments then on the Twitter? No, the that's all, then, all I'll say because okay. I know you have a heart out. So, well, well, thank you. No, but we should reconnect and talk about that because I do. I even see connections to that and Twitter and the whole thing with what we just talked about today. And so it'd be yeah. interesting to get into that. So, thank you for being here. And I, I really, I do think this is going to connect with a lot of people. And hopefully, just like before, that we're ahead of this enough to slow it down at the very least, if not stop it. So thank you for taking the time. Anything else you want to leave us with before we get no, out of here? No, no, no. Good with me. Thanks as always, Ryan. Uh, and, and the T-Lab team and all of that. Uh, happy to be a part of it. And uh, hopefully I'll be producing more for T-Lab soon when, uh, you know, life is a little bit less insane. <laughs> no worries. I'm happy to have you here. So thank you. And uh, as always, everybody out there, question everything. Come to your own conclusions. Stay vigilant.